Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Well, it had been six glorious months of my life. After encountering God in a hotel room in Naples, Florida, instantly I found that years of heaviness and shame and inadequacy melted away from me. And instantly I had become like the Christian version of Elf. Everywhere I walked, it was, hi, look at you. Wow, you're so amazing. God just adores you. Okay, have a great day and just continue on. And for six months... This was everywhere I went in my life. And in this season, my house was going through a renovation, and so was my soul. And as both of my living spaces were radically being altered in their floor plan, I sat happily in the sawdust, believing that nothing could ever shake me until... My wife Jill and I were out shopping one day in the midst of these renovations when she saw an L-shaped sectional couch that she wanted and just had to have in our space. And this couch, it was stylish. It had high sides and decorative feet. It was really unique, and I would soon learn really unforgiving. The plan had been this. We were going to unload this couch out of our vehicle and bring it into our master suite. I was convinced that was going to take no more than 10 minutes. And after all, I had several hours before a prophetic event that I was set to lead. So, hakuna matata, no worries. It was only a few minutes before I realized that there was no way to maneuver this couch into the room. I lifted it and angled it. I crawled over the top of it to the other side to try to scoot one end low. And every time I was within centimeters of clearing the frame of the couch when suddenly it caught the frame of the door. The time started ticking by. 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Sweat began pouring down. My heart rate was going up, and in this moment, I realized that something else was rising that I hadn't felt for months. There was an anger stirring beneath the surface, and I tried to brush it off. I said, no, I I left those old mindsets. I'm a new creation. Hakuna Matata? (laughs) But the harder I tried to play it cool, the more stuff went wrong. 
I got out my drill to remove the legs from this couch, which I already wasn't happy about having to do, and I got all the way down to the last leg and the last screw when it stripped. So I tried the less delicate means of running as fast as I can and shoving the couch through the doorway. Until <laughs> suddenly I heard a grinding sound that rendered it immovable. I was lucky that the door frame didn't snap. If only the same could have been said of me. In this moment, I went off. There alone in the room, I said, God, I can't believe this. Here I am trying to be a sensitive husband, working hard for my wife, taking the whole day off to get this stupid couch. Now it was a stupid couch. <laughs> to get this stupid couch in here before this important work that I'm doing for you. And in the midst of this, instead of getting a little bit of help, everything is breaking. Now I'm late. I probably ruined the door. I got to return the couch. Jill's going to be sad, and I'm the bad guy. And on and on I went. I mean, it was the embarrassing toddler melting down in the grocery store kind of tantrum. And finally, when I was done, the room fell silent to the point of being awkward when this voice that I've come to know as the Lord in a calm and almost amused tone said, wow, that must be the most powerful couch in the world. <laughs> and I thought to myself, excuse me? I'm facing the world's greatest injustice here where you are clearly not helping, and you, the father of all compassion, are going to mock me. And God continued, and he said this. He said, if you're telling me that a couple of wood boards, some fabric, and a few screws is capable of sidelining your joy, ruining your day, and undoing the breakthrough I purchased, it must be the most powerful couch in the world. And I began to laugh, because what else do you do when such grace meets you? A gravity of grace meets you in the midst of your grumbling. And there, sitting in the room, probably going to be late to the prophetic event, God flashed the promise of Romans chapter 8 before my mind that says this. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some time after that tantrum, I got the couch into the room. A few years later, it survived another move into my office where it currently sits as the silent partner with me in healing and hope 
as I've seen the newly married and seasoned leaders, young adults and parents and grandparents all sit in the space of this couch experiencing reconciliation and restoration of every manner. Turns out that couch was pretty powerful after all. We have this ironic tendency as humans to assign an evaluation to our life station that empowers our situation, ignores God's revelation, and inherits frustration. I'm going to say that again. We have an ironic tendency as humans to self-assign a life station that empowers our situation, whatever's going on around us, ignores God's revelation and only inherits frustration. In a recent poll by the University of Chicago, they found that Americans are the unhappiest they have been in 50 years, with 86% reporting they're not happy with the direction of their life. Now, in this poll, they cited the standard of living, the economy, loneliness, health struggles, relational problems, and a distrust of authority. But this should be shocking to us because the poll was taken among the most privileged population in the history of human civilization. I want you to consider this with me. Right now as you hear my voice, if you have clothes on your back and shoes on your feet, if you have access to clean water and electricity, if you have a roof over your head and you know where your next meal is coming from, you constitute the richest 1% of the planet. We live in an age of unprecedented technology. We can connect with people all around the world in an instant. There's higher innovation in science and medicine than ever before. We have greater opportunities in education and in industry and access to endless resources at our fingertips. I mean, you could go order it on Amazon.com today and have it later this afternoon sitting at your doorstep. We have a place to call home, food in our bellies, running water, opportunities to contribute in some way to the betterment of society. At least one significant person in our life that we know sees us and loves us and the freedom to worship our God in the way we would like to without fear. Yet, 286 million Americans say, I'm not happy. We're flooded with psychosomatic illnesses. It's where our bodies are becoming sick because of the burdens our souls have been carrying too long. We're restless, we're stressed, we're anxious, we're fearful, we feel unseen and undone. And further, as you press into this poll, you'll find this, that of those 286 million Americans saying, I'm not happy, four out of five of them believe in God and yet are not experiencing the life to the full Jesus came to offer. Droves of Christians drive the way as those who are angry at God. Disillusioned by the trials and heartbreaks and imperfections of this present life, and it's filling our horizon with what I can only call first world problems. Now, there's a myriad of reasons for this. But I want to suggest at the outset today that at the center of it is something psychologists call 
relative deprivation. Relative deprivation is the belief that one has been deprived of needed resources or benefits in comparison to their perceived position among their peers. Relative deprivation, it's the belief that I've been deprived of something I need, not because I've been deprived of something I need, but because my eyes are all on my relative position to my peers. We're surrounded by blessings, but we can only see the things they have that I don't yet. It's an orphan mentality that makes God an absent father who blesses some kids while ignoring others. It's a perceived lack where we can't win, so we lose hope. But I have a question this morning. What if it's all a lie? What if the father hasn't left us because he can't and he won't? What if right now you are presently adored and being held by a grace greater than your capacity to even grasp, regardless of how well you're performing? And what if he's always being good to you because he is goodness itself? What if the peace that surpasses understanding is already ours and completely accessible? What if we actually can rejoice always and say it again, rejoice? What if as the tide of the drama of a million factors outside of our control rise and fall, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls? What if the joy of the Lord actually is our strength? And what if all of this isn't only possible, but it's our purchased inheritance, and anything less is completely unnatural for the children of God. I want to share this morning three alignments that have nothing to do with your circumstances, but everything to do with where you place your hope. And before I do that this morning, I want to give a disclaimer. There are some of us that find ourselves, and really all of us at some point, find ourselves in what can only be called a dark night of the soul, a place where the wheels have come off of the car from life, that, that there's an addiction or a depression and something that you can't shake and everything in your world is spinning. And if that's you, the last thing I want you to hear this morning is three quick tips for me to tell you to dust yourself off, get back up and get yourself fixed because you would have already done it if you could. What you need if you're in that place and what I've needed when I've been in the dark nights of my soul is for Jesus to hold me and for a community to patiently walk with me as I unlearn so God can restore who he created me to be. And that takes time. If that's you, this is what I want to urge this morning. I want to urge first and foremost that you would keep being honest with your God because I'm convinced that God will always meet us anywhere. We'll take the mask off and just tell him where we're at. If it's you, I want to urge you and beg you not to walk alone. We're a church that believes in restoration through, commu through community. I want to urge you to keep going. And in fact, I'm just going to ask this right now. If we could just pause for just a minute. If you'd close your eyes, I'm not going to highlight you, I'm not going to pull you out, but I'm believing there's somebody this morning that's hearing my voice and you'd say, you know what, that's me. I feel like everything in my world is spinning. And yes, there's going to be truth in the moments ahead, but this moment is the moment that you need right now. We as your church are coming around you. 
And if that's you, we just want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask this right now. Father, would you come and reveal your love in a deeper, tangible way? We don't have to invite you to be present. You can't help but be present. We don't have to call you to be good. You are goodness itself. What we're asking is that you would reveal your love to your child and show them right now that you are presently pursuing their heart. Pray that you would gird them up with strength that they would not give up. I pray that you would silence the voice of the accuser. And those who echo his voice all around their life, all the drama that wants to come believing the wrong narrative. I ask, Father, that you would raise up and right now that you would manifest a loving community of brothers and sisters and friends to walk alongside them. And you'd give them the courage to see them and come out from the shadows and say, I'm struggling I don't want to just come to church this morning. Hi, how are you? Everything's fine. Bless the Lord. When everything is broken, I ask, Father, that you would give them courage. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring these sons and daughters to the minds of other sons and daughters, that they'd reach out and text and call and say, I just can't get you out of my mind. I'm praying for you today. And that you would make a connection, Lord, that would lead to the restoration you desire. And Father, we stand and we lift our faith alongside them and we say, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Don't give up. Father, just extend your hope over them. If you agree with that, say amen. And I want to say this, if that's where you are or you find yourself ministering in that place to somebody that says the wheels have come off, there's just very quickly, there's two resources I just want to highlight to you before we dive in today. One would be our restoration manual, which is right on our webpage, a completely free resource. Pastor Lynn and Robin did a masterful job walking through that. And then after service last week, we had 50 people here from Overflow join us for a restoration conference to get practically trained how to walk it out. It's amazing. So... You can get that right on our website. The other one is a book that was just written by two of my dear friends. Um, one of them, George, lives right here in Tampa and is ministering right around uh, the corner from us here. And it's all about experiencing God's recovery from addiction, from depression, from things you can't shake in the context of community. It's a beautiful resource. So I just want to encourage you with both of those, if you're ministering to somebody who's there, these are invaluable resources. Now for the rest of us, there's a spirit of the age that wants to convince all of us that we are a victim that has been dealt a bad hand of cards so that we would never actually see that we've been called to be victorious. That we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So for us, I want to share three ways to step out right now without anything changing in your circumstances to step out from first world problems to a life full of hope. The first one is this. If we're going to live free of first world problems, we've got to surrender our superstition. Surrender our superstition. Most of us have been taught a bad theology that we need to unlearn. Case in point, how many of you have ever heard this verse right here? God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody heard that? Yeah, I'm going to say that one's from Hesitations 316, because that is not in the Bible. I'm going to tell you, it's not only that's extra biblical, I believe this verse is anti-biblical. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Anybody in the room feel like you're facing more than you can handle? I don't know. Anybody feel like there's anything going on in life? Anybody ever been in a season of your life that felt like more than you could handle? See, here's the problem. If we believe this is a promise from God, we will resent him or condemn us. 
Because when life feels like more than we can handle, then either God didn't come through or I'm not working the system correctly. Either way, there's condemnation. And every time you find yourself in a position where life is too big for you, if you believe this is it, then your whole hope is getting back to less, getting back and getting out of more than you can handle. Over time, you'll stop trusting not just this promise, but the word of God as a whole is nothing more than sweet sentiment, a form of godliness that has lost its power. God does not say he will never give you more than you can bear. What the Bible says is that you will never be tempted beyond what you can bear. God will never put you in a situation where your only choice will be to sin. But God giving you more than you can handle seems to be his specialty. If you look to the Old Testament, Sarah yearning to be a mom, enduring years of humiliation and heartbreak, staying barren was more than she could handle. Abraham being asked to sacrifice his one and only son was more than he could handle. Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers, being thrown into prison though he had been righteous, and being left to die there by the people he helped was more than he could handle. Moses enduring four decades in a desert only to be sent back to the place where he was wanted for murder was more than he could handle. Naomi burying her husband and her sons and her future was more than she could handle. King David running as his own son chased him to kill him was more than he could handle. Job losing his kids and his job and his home and his health and his reputation overnight was more than he could handle. Daniel being lowered into a lion's den, his three friends facing a fiery furnace, Jeremiah weeping in the bottom of a waterless well, Lazarus laying in a tomb, a centurion holding a dying child, Peter walking on water, Paul being beaten, John the Baptist awaiting execution. It was all more than they could handle. Because it's only when we face more than we can handle that God can take us into more than we could ask and make us into more than we can imagine. Right. I would say to you this morning that the road where we move beyond where we can go in our own strength, the road beyond self-help and self-hope to places that only you and God can go together is named more than you can handle. If you want to serve God in this life, then more than you can handle is kind of the point. I'll give you one other piece of bad theology I think we've got to unlearn. And it happens when we get trials. You'll hear somebody go through a trial and they'll say, oh, well, I know what's happening right now. God is just teaching me. Anybody ever heard that one? God's teaching me. And so here's what happens. You'll hear them tell a story of a loved one who has cancer or how they just lost their job or a place where their heart got broken. And when you press through all of it, this is what they believe. Somewhere they're doing something wrong and this situation is God's science experiment to get them back in line. Now looking past the horrific implications that would make God an abusive father, because come on, what father would use torture to teach his kids? It reveals an unspoken belief we have about God. That when push comes to shove, we actually think we get from him what we deserve. Maybe you've heard the other verse. God helps those who help themselves. Once again, not the Bible. Once again, anti-biblical. Why? Because we can't help ourselves. 
While we were his enemies, Jesus died for him. When we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. We couldn't help ourselves become unopposed or undead. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not karma. God's love is patient, not punitive. God's love is kind, not calloused. God does not delight in the evil of stealing from you to teach you. He rejoices in the truth. Our God is present and at work in all things to reveal his heart because he's a good father. But the cross demands no more blood being shed to get your attention. I'll say this. If God requires punishment in order to teach you obedience, then the cross was insufficient. We'd be left believing that we, like sheep, went astray, and God did not lay on him the iniquity of us all. There's still some that you have to suffer and still some that you have to bear, and come on, that's nonsense. We aren't transformed by the brutality of threat, but by the beauty of love revealed in Jesus Christ. But if you and I live in life and believe that if only we could please God, we would live a life free of pain, then your whole life will become a treadmill where you strive to run hard enough to qualify for grace. And you will misread every trial as if God is coming to malign you where he's graciously drawing close in broken situations he didn't cause to refine you. Let me say that again. If you run in a place in your life where you believe, if I just please God, then life goes my way. When I'm pleasing God, that means all circumstances, everybody loves me, my kids obey, I get the promotion at my job, my finances all work out, every health report at the doctor is good because I love God and I followed his rules. If you believe that, then your whole life will be a, a treadmill where you're running to qualify for a grace that's already given. And every time you get a report that looks to the contrary, you will believe silently that God has come to to malign you, when he's graciously come close in something that's broken that he didn't cause, but he's working in to refine you. See, we are destined for trials, but it's not God trying to teach us. It's a broken world where in spite of it all, he's still forming his kingdom in us. That's why the New Testament can say this. James chapter one, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you would be lacking in nothing. Again, in 1 Peter, it says this. It says, beloved friends, if life gets extremely difficult with many tests, don't be bewildered. Bewildered is some, uh, something strange were happening to you. Instead, continue to rejoice for you in a measure have shared in the sufferings of the anointed one so you can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate with even greater gladness. Listen, why do trials and suffering come in life? It's not God saying, you're a sinner and I'm mad. No, it's Jesus joining you in the pain of a broken world and forming his heart in you, telling death it can't have the final say. Struggle in this life is to be expected because we are in a cosmic war against the gates of hell and we're in a refiner's fire that is presently forging the culture of heaven within us. So we should neither be surprised or afraid. 
Why do struggles come? Two reasons. One, we're in a fight against the gates of hell itself, and we've been told that we have the weapons that are not like the weapons of this world to disarm the enemy because, by the way, Jesus has already made a public spectacle of him so we can tear down every scheme that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's one reason trials come. It's a broken place in your light. The second one, though, is this, that we are presently in that refiner's fire where God, in the midst of what feels like the gates of hell, is forging the culture of heaven in you. Death doesn't get the final say. So that said, struggle isn't our permanent destination. It's merely our present deployment. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Every knee will bow and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. But today, you and I, children of God, have been invited to surrender our superstition and our bad theology and take up the joy of our mission. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are purchasing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. Hold on, beloved child. If you're going through trials, the night is nearly over and the sun is coming over the hills. What do we do in trials of first world problems? We've got to surrender our superstition. God is not set up against you. God is madly in love with you. The second is this. We've got to reevaluate our treasure. We've got to reevaluate our treasure. Matthew 13, 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. All throughout the gospels, Jesus refers to finding or following him as a surrender of everything else. We leave the nets. We lay down our lives. We, we sell it all and buy the field. If you think about a treasure, a treasure is anything you assign great value to, believing that it will satisfy you and it will fulfill you and it will make everything okay. And the question that I want to ask the church of the living God today is, could it be that we're unhappy because we're chasing treasures that will never deliver what they promise? See, the definition of an idol, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about idols that will come. You think how weird that was in the Old Testament that they bowed down to statues, how dumb they were. <laughs> Until you realize. An idol is anything other than God himself is the source of your happiness, security, contentment, or peace. An idol is anything other than God himself as the source of your happiness, your security, your contentment, and peace. Let it sink in. You can easily make an idol out of your job, out of a relationship, out of approval, out of your following on social media, out of your success, your health, your finances, or your possessions. But did you know you can just as easily make an idol out of things that don't hit our radar because they seem godly? You can make an idol out of your kids. You can make an idol out of your marriage. I've watched many people make an idol out of their pursuit of health. 
They've got 2% body fat, but they're dying inside. We have Christian idols, idols of morality and behavior. Look at how well I perform according to all the things God says in his word. Idols of spiritual disciplines. Did you know you can read the Bible and go to church and listen to podcasts and go to Christian events and lose the treasure of intimacy with Christ? Listen to me. When anything other than Jesus becomes your treasure, nothing will ever satisfy. When Jesus is all you seek, nothing can take your joy. Now somebody needs to screenshot that. And when you start complaining midweek about how you'll be happy when this thing comes through, you go, up, idol. That's an idol. See, if we have any conditions to our joy today, the conditions have been met on the cross. It means you either have bad theology or you got an idol. Okay, that's not even in my message. It's just true. (laughs) If you have conditions on your joy today, then either you're holding bad theology about God or you're holding an idol. In Romans, it talks about how these trials are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. And I just want to remind us for just a minute, the glory that is to come is not your own mansion in heaven on a lawn of gold bricks. There's a reason when we get to heaven, we come and we take our crowns and we lay them at his feet because the treasure that we've waited all of our lives to see face to face is nothing other than him. And we already have the treasure. Can I just remind you and me today that if you have Jesus and you never see another treasure in this world, goodness gracious, you have Jesus. I am my beloved's and he is mine forever and ever and ever and nothing can ever take that from me. What could it look like to elevate that as the place of our treasure? For many of us, it's time to reevaluate our treasure and to remind ourselves once again that we've sold it all and we've bought the field and just choose joy already. For somebody right now, you got your whole list of things. This has to be done, this has to be done, this has to be done. Burn the list, just choose joy. If you want the quick version of my message today, burn the list, choose joy. There it is. (laughs) 10 seconds. Too long, didn't read? Burn the list, choose joy. The final one is this. If we're to walk free of first world problems, it's time that we head to the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says this. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We have a tendency as people to hyper-focus on our problems and believe I can't help others until fill in the blank is fixed. And what happens is then our problems, not our mission, becomes our obsession and it paralyzes us and we never arrive, do we? We never get all those things on the list fixed. For some people, it goes so far that we continually choose narratives of brokenness that are blind to our own blessings that they become self-fulfilled prophecy. We say, oh, well, nobody ever checks on me and nobody ever loves me and nobody followed up on this prayer request that I have because I'm just all alone. And so what happens is we start to isolate and suddenly six months have gone by and guess what happened? Nobody checked on you and nobody was there because you left every place of relationship that you had and you continue the life of a victim. We live in a funk because we've lost perspective. 
we make the world about me and we lose our ability to see. But here in Matthew 9, it says that Jesus, because he knew that the Father had him and the Father held him and union with the Father was his only treasure, he was free to see the crowds. I just want to tell you right now, no matter what is going on in your circumstances, there is somebody that is hurting in your crowd and God sent you to pass by them because you carry hope. And it's the craziest thing. When we choose in our brokenness to be a conduit to help others, we experience healing in our own heart because we were always made to receive and release the Father's love. By the way, if you read our mission statement and you think those are two separate steps, no, it's one fluid action. You receive and release and receive and release and receive and release. And at any point, one of these gets shut down. If you're always spending your life to release, that's an orphan mentality where you don't believe that you have worth and you will burn out. I've watched some of the most compassionate people in the world become the most hardened because they never learned how to receive the Father's love. But listen to me, and I got to say this to a world of, uh, of Christianity where we're watching more podcasts and have more revelation and more knowledge and more Maverick City and more worship and more resources than we can shake a stick at. The number of people that I've heard through the past 20 years come and spend hours and hours and hours on their face with Jesus and say, well, I just, I just need this fixed in my life and I just need God to show me his love more and I'm not ready to go and pour out. Then I'm saying you, you're building a treadmill of works of something you need to do, believing you need to purchase something the cross already took care of. We receive and release. So here's my question this morning. What could happen if you and I took a deeper step in giving God our burdens and then in that place we got up to help someone else carry theirs? Who is it right now in your world that needs you not to wait until everything is perfect but to just come and be present in the midst of the imperfection? Jesus said this. He said, in the world we will have trouble. Listen, that's true in the third world, and that's true in the first world. But for all of us, he said this, take heart, I've already overcome the world. And the calling is still the same. Leave your nets, lift your heads, and come follow me. And I want to challenge you this morning, as you and I make the bold choice to head toward the harvest, don't be surprised when you see some sprouts rising up in your own field. Would you stand with me? Right here in this moment, I just want us to receive what the Lord would say. If you would just take a moment, just close your eyes. I want to give just a few very simple challenges this morning for the places where we find first world problems. If you're hearing my voice, there's an incredibly high chance that you are with me as part of the richest and most privileged civilization in history. We're the kids of the first world. So let me ask this question this morning. Where is it that you're stuck and anxious and fearful and angry? What's the most powerful couch in the world in your life right now? Is it your job? I won't be happy until I get this other job. Is it something going on in romance or your love life? Is it your relationship with one of your children? Is it your financial situation or something the doctors told you about your health? Is it a situation or a circumstance that you've empowered and is stealing your joy? 
I want to call right now, and I've, I've asked these ministers to come and join me here up front in one of four places for God just to move upon our hearts. The first is this. I want to ask, are you that person that you say, you know what, right now the wheels have come off of my car. I feel like my world is upside down. I'm in a dark night of my soul. And I know right now that I'm going to need a long and patient restoration in the midst of community. I'm going to ask you this morning, if that's you, where is God calling you to be honest with him right now? From where you stand, would you begin just to tell him that? The second question I would ask is, who is he calling you to walk with? And maybe for you, your bold step is to step out from your seat because you've been putting on a face, I'm okay, I've got it all together, and you're isolated, and you're insulated, and your step today is to step out to one of these ministers and say, I'm not okay. And I know I'm going to need a community around me. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to step out and to come. second question I want to ask, where's their bad theology this morning you just need to lay down? Where is there an unspoken belief that you know that God is powerful, but maybe you believe to you he's just not good? Because right now you're going through things that don't feel good. Maybe you've been one of those that are feeling like God is teaching me or God is punishing me. And what you desperately need right now is a sense of expectancy. For somebody in the room, would you just admit, you'd say, I'm holding on to control. I'm believing I can't be happy unless I know every turn of everything God's going to do. And I've been hijacking my own happiness because I'm trying to control God. And instead, would you just say, God, I have no clue where the journey goes from here, but I know it's going to be good because you're good. So as many hills and valleys and turns and twists, Jesus, I'm all in with you, but I will not hesitate in my joy for another moment. For somebody this morning, maybe there's a place you need to reclaim your treasure. If you're being honest, you'd have to admit there's some pursuit of an idol. It's left you striving. You believe that you're not going to be happy unless you have Jesus and fill in the blank. This morning, you need to come to the place to say, no, it's always going to be just Jesus, period. You're enough. You're enough for me. Somebody right now, would you be bold enough before God just to admit, I'm letting this thing dictate my joy. I'm letting this circumstance. I'm letting this person. I'm letting this job. I'm letting this situation, and I'm done with it this morning right from where you are, or forward to one of these ministers. Listen, they're only here to help you on the journey. If you're saying, I'm processing something, and I want heaven to come in agreement with me, I'm going to ask you to come to one of these ministers. But right from your seat, you could stand right now and say, this is something I've empowered. This is something whose voice I've made bigger. There's a place I'm unhappy because I'm believing I need Jesus and this other thing to fulfill me. And I'm ready this morning to take that thing off of the throne. Would you begin right now in your own words just to tell him, Father, I'm sorry for empowering this. Father, I'm sorry for desiring this and believing I needed this to make me happy. Father, I'm sorry for believing that you're not good enough. I'm just going to encourage all of us right now to take just a moment there. The reason this struggle 
with the pursuit of idols fill almost every page of the Old Testament is because that's the struggle of our hearts. It's our story. This is us. Would you just be honest right now? I'm going to ask you, why do you feel discouraged? Why is your soul downcast? Oh, Father, I pray that you would release revelation right now. I pray that you would speak right now into these places. And for you know there's no condemnation in the kingdom. There's only invitation. So in any place you see, oh, I'm holding on to an idol, then you need to know, just like it was with me in my office, God was not condemning me when he invited me and said, oh, that's the most powerful couch in the world. You don't have to do that anymore. That you would feel the Father's delight and joy to go, you don't have to empower that anymore, son. You don't have to empower that anymore, daughter. You can lay it down right now. No more questions asked. Would you just receive my joy? Would you just receive my peace? Would you just receive my presence? There's one final charge that I want to give this morning. Because it's here in these worship gatherings that we normally stop. We get to the place where we feel good, we feel encouraged. But Jesus says, look out to the harvest, the fields are ripe. Who will go for me? I'm going to ask right now, where are you at a place that you'd have to be honest and say, my trials have made me isolated and insulated? I've been almost obsessed sometimes. It's all I can see. And it is time right now for me to get up and receive and release. It is time right now for me to stop waiting for everything to be okay. And what I'm asking right now is this. I'm asking for every person in the room. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show you one face. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show you one face in the crowd of your life. There's somebody right now who needs Christ in you, the hope of glory, and they don't need you to wait until things are perfect. They just need you in the imperfection to be present. Who's that face? And this is what I'm going to ask for just boldly right here. As you get a face, I'm going to ask that you would just lift your hand. I just want to give a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to move past this, but if the Lord brings a face to your mind of somebody that you're supposed to be present in their life, bringing them hope. I'm just going to ask that you lift your hand and you just hold it up. Thank you. I see that. I see that. We're going to take just a minute here. The Lord has shown you there's somebody right now in your life. By the way, they might be in your house. They might call you mom or dad. They might call you son or daughter. Just going to ask, if you get it, just hold your hand up. I want to give just another moment here because I want to pray an anointing over you this week as you go. God's showing you there's some place, there's somebody in your life, there's somebody in your crowd. Right now with your hands up, I just ask, Father, would you release the strategies of heaven to your son and to your daughter? Would you give right now not only your peace, but your confidence in the kingdom, that they would be able to step out in a way that they wouldn't wait, that they wouldn't hear this moment, that they wouldn't think, I don't have enough. We don't have enough, Christ, but you're enough. So, Father, as we come in the midst of our imperfection and our unfinished, we're going to believe right now that you put this face on our life because there's something you want us to pray. And I'm going to encourage right now, I'm going to ask Holy Spirit that you would bring this face before them all week. And, guys, as God brings it to you, I'm going to ask that you stop where you are and you just ask God to bless them. 
If you have nothing else to say, God, bless them. Meet them in their need. Start to ask, Father, where can I be present in their life? And right now, Father, I'm rejoicing right now that there are going to be tangible testimonies from faces that you, Holy Spirit, put before your sons and daughters today. We rejoice already. And we ask, Father, with no shame, you placed us in the first world not to shame us. But you've given us all these riches of knowing you so that we can receive you deeply and we can release you generously. Father, would you restore our joy in every way?